to another episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by the Silver Screen and Roll Network. We're coming to you a day later than normal, mainly because of a number of things, but mostly Anthony Davis's injury on Sunday made us kind of switch schedules around. Uh, If you guys didn't hear, Anthony and Harrison did their podcast or an episode of a podcast yesterday, kind of reacting to that. We've had a little bit more time to digest some things, and we're going to talk about that today. But everything in Lakerland the last like 36 hours or so has been pretty doom and gloom. We're going to start with something that was a lot more fun, because the World Cup was on Sunday morning, and we obviously have been the podcast to talk about soccer, even before Hani got here. Christian and I talked about it plenty. Hani, as the resident... Messi fan. Uh, yeah. As we're recording this, there is a Messi picture right behind you. Uh, Two of them. Three of yeah. them. Yeah, I bought one of them, I believe. But regardless, uh, what was uh, what was yesterday like for you, bud? Uh, I was a mess. Um, it was, you know, for a person who uh, has no roots at all for you know Argentina have, have have no connection to the country. Zero, zero connections to the country. Uh, I was an emotional wreck for the majority of that game. Uh, I think it took me probably like 20 to 30 minutes after the game was over to realize that was like one of the greatest sporting events of all time. <laughs> because while it was happening, I hated every second of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm very happy with the results. I'm very happy for, for my boy. Uh, finally getting that World Cup trophy. It was it was like, uh, you know, I, I think people like tend to over, uh, like add narratives too much to sports sometimes, you know, like like everybody wants the perfect fairy tale story and whatever in sports. But like, that's exactly what that was. And that's kind of insane. I, look, I would not have, uh, like if he would have retired on this, on that spot in that moment, I would not have blamed him for one second because it is not going to get better than nah. that on on Sunday. Like you said, I had a little bit more clarity because I did not have a rooting interest in this game. So there was a moment, probably during extra time, maybe after Messi's goal in extra time, where I was like, "Damn, this is like a really good game." And then there was another goal, and then there was penalties, and. I, I literally spent most of yesterday, uh, Sunday, as we're recording this, uh, spent most of Sunday just shaking my head, thinking about, my God, what a what a game that we saw. Yeah. Honestly, probably the best soccer game in history. Definitely the best soccer game of our lifetimes. Yeah, for sure. And best World Cup game, best World Cup final. Like, everybody lived up to the billing. If you if that was your first soccer game, stop watching because it's not going to get better than that. Like you you reach the pinnacle, just don't watch any more soccer. No, you should totally tune into some MLS games this season. It's like the exact same thing. Uh, yeah, I don't think the Galaxy versus the uh, Columbus Crew on a 
uh, mid-May, like Wednesday night, is going to quite live up to the billing of Argentina. Uh, cold, cold night in Columbus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cold, windy night in Columbus is not going to be quite the same. It's, it's really funny because of the mess of this World Cup and it being in the winter. Technically, uh, McAllister, the midfielder for Argentina, just played France in the greatest World Cup ever and is supposed to play his next game against Charlton Athletic in the Carabao Cup, uh, which that if you're a soccer fan at all, you will understand how absurd that is. That would be like, I don't even know what the basketball definition or uh, comparison is, playing in like game seven of the greatest game in NBA history, and then like three days later. Playing the G League Ignite. No, even worse than that probably. playing. I was going to say like a college team. Like a Division Two college team or something, like five days later, like it just everything about this was absurd. It was, yeah, it was it was wild. It, it was so much fun to watch for me, not for you. It was fun yeah. to celebrate afterwards. Um, the scenes in in Argentina, I would I want to be in Buenos Aires right now. Yeah, <laughs> every video I've seen looks incredible. Yeah, all the drone shots of just, like, the millions of people in the streets. Uh, there was another video of the guy on the bicycle that's just, like, uh, riding through the street while the, the last penalty kick is getting taken. And, like, the just the sound of everybody, like, exploding and people just pouring onto the streets immediately is amazing. That, that just seems like such a cool environment to be part of, uh, especially given the drama of that game. I was watching it with a friend of ours that a lot of people probably know, Grant Goldberg, uh, just right right on this couch. After that France goal, I think there was probably like 10 minutes where neither of us spoke. It was just like dead quiet in this apartment except for the sound of the game. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that I have a good memory to share with my friend rather than a <laughs> sad one. Yeah, because... The rest of yesterday, at least when it came to the Lakers, was not largely fun. As that game was going on, I don't know if you saw it during the game or not. The Anthony Davis injury news came out Yeah. Uh, during the second half. Like I said, the instant reaction Harrison and Anthony did. It was uh, yesterday. It's on this podcast feed. We've had a little bit more time to think about it. What's just kind of your reaction to this injury, whether it, what it means to the Lakers, what it means to AD, anything like that? Um, I think it's hard to fully grasp it so far just because we don't know what the injury really is. We don't really know what the outlook of it is other than he's going to be out for weeks. How many? Who knows? Um so it's really hard to kind of take a big picture look at it. I think the biggest, you know, like reaction that I that I have uh, is mostly just being a little upset that uh, we're missing out on on the best basketball that Anthony Davis has played in his career. Um, it, it sucks for him because he 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 was a uh, you know really ascending to to taking over this team, being the best player on the team, uh, arguably the best player in the world. Uh, these last few weeks um, and, and, you know, making a case for, for a lot of individual awards, even in a, a season where the Lakers are, are mostly struggling and, and probably weren't going to contend for a title anyway. 
Um, so that's that's my main reaction, and it sucks as as viewers that we don't get to keep seeing that Anthony Davis that we've all we've been really clamoring for for the last couple of years, and it it just hasn't fully come to fruition, no matter how good he he was. Um, as far as the outlook of of the Lakers, obviously it's it's disappointing. It makes you think that even the playoffs are probably uh, not going to happen this season, depending on the length of that injury. Of course, I think if it's you know just the four weeks that uh, first got reported, then you know they still have a chance when he comes back. I think they can probably survive for for a little bit of that time and make a push but if, if it's any longer than that it, it seems pretty unlikely that that they're gonna really make any noise this season so as you said we don't really know the extent of the injury the timeline what i will say is that ad um the fact that they are seeking kind of additional opinions the fact that they are having him go to basically a foot specialist. I don't have good. I don't have a good feeling about this. Yeah. Basically. Uh, so I, my mindset is basically at the very least, he's probably going to be out for more than a month. I have a bad gut feeling. This might be a season ending injury. Um, the play itself is very bizarre because it mm-hmm. wasn't like, he rolled his ankle like he did last year. That was one of the worst ankle rolls I can remember. It wasn't anything like that. He just kind of tapped his leg against Jokic's in midair. He came back and played on it, but he was clearly limping and not 100%. I don't really know what to – I don't know. I mean, it's a, there's a certain level of speculation we have to do. Like I said, I'm just kind of working on the mindset that He's probably going to be out for quite a while. And if he's not great, I think a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about will still apply in some way, but I would be surprised if he is not out for quite a while. And like you said, he was playing incredible basketball. I did. So if you just look at the last month he had played from not counting that Denver game where he went out midway through it, the 13 games before that, he was averaging 32.4 points, 14.0 rebounds, shooting 64% from the field uh, with 2.3 blocks per game. Included in that is a game where he scored one point in eight minutes. So that is dragging that average down. I wrote last week, um, so before the Boston game, if you remove that one game in Cleveland where he had one point and then left with the flu, he was averaging 34.8 points, 15.2 rebounds, and 2.6 blocks. And then he went against Boston and got 37 points, 12 rebounds, and a block. So, I mean, it was right in line with those averages. Easily the best basketball I think he has ever played in the NBA. So... The fact we're missing out on that is awful, a bummer. Every everything you can think of, whatever kind of superlative you want to use, it, it just sucks to to not get to watch him. We've seen the Lakers play two and a half games now without him. They are technically two and one, but can this roster survive long term without him? 
I, I just think it's really difficult. I, I mean, it, one, uh, I mean, we've talked about it all season, all, all preseason, that the Lakers roster just isn't really good enough to be a contending team anyway. There's good players on this team, but they're, they're just playing in roles that aren't very suited to them and having to do way more than, than they should be asked to do. And that's just going to be amplified even more with, with AD out now. You got a guy like Thomas Bryant, who has actually been quite good these last couple of games without AD and stepping up, but now you need him to play as a 35 minute, uh, starter. And, you know, as great as he is, is that energy guy off the bench, he, he can be pretty limited as a starter. Um, you know, defensively, how are the Lakers really going to, survive without ad uh it seemed like he was kind of dragging them up to an upper uh half of the nba defensive team and i just don't really see that sticking around without him um they're really going to need to probably outscore teams to to survive and this is a team that has been very inconsistent with their three-point shooting which makes it very difficult to outscore teams um it obviously also puts a lot more pressure on lebron um and that's just a terrifying thought because you know Last couple of seasons has been the most injured LeBron has been in his entire career. He's getting older. It just seems like it's bound to happen again if he's going to have to play uh, close to 40 minutes a night and, and drag a team uh, to be able to, you know, uh, put them in, in positions where they can win games. That's just asking for trouble. Um, so, yeah, my, my gut feeling is that a, a long-term injury is is just unlikely to be something that the Lakers can survive without AD. Um, again, if, if it's four weeks, you can kind of talk yourself into, a, you know, a chance that maybe with, with a couple of trades at the trade deadline and AD back and, and kind of revitalize that they would be able to make a push, uh, for the play- playoffs. But even that would be just incredibly difficult. The West, I, I think there aren't a lot of great teams in the Western conference, but there are a lot of very, very good teams. Uh, it's just super deep this year. There's like 12 teams that that really want to make the playoffs uh, in the West. And, uh, you know, I just don't see the Lakers kind of keeping that pace with them. I think the most frustrating or one of the most frustrating parts about this as well is this feels like deja vu all over again. The whole, I mean, you're not wrong in anything you said, but the idea of needing to tread water until you get your yes. eyes back and, and needing to make a run after that. That was basically the entirety of last season, trying to tread water till LeBron and AD got back, and then we're going to go on a run. <laughs> I'm tired of that, man. Uh, if you look after that Boston game with the defensive rating, that was the last full game AD played. So through that Boston game, the Lakers were 13th defensively. Considering the roster they have, the lack of size that they have, yeah. The Lakers could play like those four guard lineups basically because AD was so damn good. Yeah. They weren't great lineups even then, but they were like survivable basically because of AD. You can't do that anymore and the Lakers roster doesn't have other options realistically. So like you're going to have to get really creative in in how you change things up defensively. It's probably not a coincidence we've seen more of Max Christie, uh, and we're mm. going to talk about him as well later. But they're going to have to do things differently defensively now without AD there. The obvious question that came up after this is just trade talks now. LeBron was asked about it 
after the game on Sunday gave a, a pretty straightforward answer of that's not a question you need to ask me. And then afterwards implored the media to ask Rob Palinka that question. I'm sure everybody would love to ask Rob Palinka that question. He hasn't been available since media day. And it's, I mean, that's not even uncommon. General managers just aren't available to the media very often. So it's, it's, it's going to be a continued question to you. Does this make a, for example, a trade for buddy and miles more enticing or should the Lakers have more of a sense of urgency to do this now? Um, I think you can look at it either way. Uh, on, on one hand, um, a guy like Miles Turner is somebody that can kind of step in and do, you know, what AD does, but obviously not not at that high of a level, at that high of a volume, but he can do 70, 80% of what AD does. And it seems like a very natural fit for the Lakers to kind of throw into the starting lineup. Um, and Buddy, again, is, is, is a type of player that the Lakers could use in terms of his three-point shooting. But the... <laughs> The other part of this is now every team in the NBA would know that they're desperate for that sort of trade. The Pacers are going to hold out 100% for both picks if they're going to go asking for that now, uh, just because they know that, you know, Miles Turner is one of the few players that can um, replicate at least some of what AD does for the Lakers. Um, and to me, I, I just think any combination of players that they get back is not going to be enough to really outweigh the loss of AD. Um, and so my thought process is, is that this kind of made the decision for the Lakers that they've been kind of like, you know, just, just sort of treading water on and, and not really making that decision all season and saying that, hey, we're, we're going to wait 10 more games, 15 more games. It kind of just made the decision for them in my eyes that they're, I don't, I don't think they're going to make uh, at least not a significant trade uh, this season. Um, I just don't really see them moving picks for, uh, a couple of players that maybe possibly gives them a chance of making the play in tournament um, versus, you know, just not making, making the playoffs at all. Uh, and again, I, I would like to say that this is more based off of the assumption that AD is gone for a long time. If it's for a month, then yeah, I, I, you can kind of make the case that we get miles Turner. Now he's, he's going to help us win a few more games over that the course of that month. And then he's still a guy that can probably play next to AD. Um, but there's a lot of different factors in this. We've talked a, a lot about all these different combinations of trades, whether it makes sense to, to trade for Miles Turner when you know you're going to be paying him a whole lot of money this summer to keep him. All that stuff kind of matters as well. But I think that the larger part of this, the generalization that I would make is that I don't think the Lakers are good enough that that sort of trade vaults them into making any more significant of a noise than, than they would without it. Um, and so to me, it just doesn't really make sense to do that. I would rather they kind of keep those assets, um, wait until the summer, Russ first contract is off the books. You got cap space to actually sign some players. And then, yeah, you can toss those picks for a couple of extra, extra pieces as well. Um, we'll see what they do, but that's kind of my gut feeling of, of what, uh, you know, that their decision-making process is going to be like. It's interesting because you're not wrong. My, my, my kind of first inclination when thinking about these trades is that now everybody is certain the Lakers are desperate. Um, 
I thought the Lakers were gaining leverage in a lot of these trade talks as they were playing better and better, and it became less of a necessity for them to move Russ. It's kind of gone out the window now, especially with certain types of trade discussions. I want to talk a little bit more about whether they should make a trade at all in a minute. The other trade I wanted to throw to you is, does this change your mindset at all about a Vucevic and DeMar DeRozan trade? Mm, I don't think so. I, I think that that still is not really a, a trade that does anything for me. Um, like DeRozan is a guy that I, I like as a player, but I don't necessarily really see him fitting very well with this Lakers team. Um, and Vucevic is, is just not really that exciting of a prospect to me. If they are going to trade picks for, for that sort of trade, I would 100% go for Turner and Buddy Heald over, over those two. The Bulls are in full-blown like tailspin right now. They are 11-18 yeah. and 18 through 29 games. They do not look good at all. They keep saying they want to hold out. They keep saying they're not interested in Russ. Their feet are getting put to the fire the closer they get to the trade deadline. We'll see if that's really true. The Lakers reportedly have interest in Vucevic and DeMar. But to your point, the kind of bigger picture question is, should they even make a trade at all, which you kind of answered. I, I think there are very specific trades that I would still make but I wouldn't be as urgent to get off of Russ's contract. Mm-hmm. Buddy and Miles trade, I think, has more long-term potential, and I still like a deal like that, especially – there. there's kind of this window, and it might be gone. By the time you're listening to this, they may have already announced what AD's injury is. It feels like it could come at any moment, but there is kind of this very small window at this point before that news becomes public that – the Lakers could kind of bluff with teams and tell the Pacers, no, AD's, AD's fine. He's only going to be out a month. Like we're, we're just interested in doing this deal now to, to save ourselves for this next month. Once that AD news gets out, then yeah, they've lost all leverage and everybody knows what's up. Um, but a buddy and miles trade still, I think helps them long-term Buddy's going to be an asset long-term. Miles is still young. The idea was that he would be cover for AD in case he got injured. So, I mean, you're kind of cutting, just cutting out that middle part there. He is injured (laughs) and he is cover now. Um, I think a trade like that still makes sense. I think it makes less sense for like a Vucevic Demar trade or some, there are other variations like a Fournier type of trade with Cam Reddish and whatnot. I wouldn't do stuff like that. I would almost certainly need to have like a big, a center coming back in the deal for me to feel pretty good about trading Russ because otherwise it feels like it's not going to be enough to make this team competitive, um, which ultimately should be the goal. You mentioned making kind of a smaller trade. Does it change at all your focus on if it is a Kendrick Nunn and Patrick Beverly package? Do you trade that for a center now? Do you trade that for someone like Cam Reddish who you could have for multiple seasons going forward? Does that change your mindset at all? Um, 
I think a guy like Cam Reddish makes sense because now you sort of have the opportunity to play them minutes and, and see what they have, um, you know, uh, just just to take that flyer on them. And if if they end up having a good season, then, yeah, you can keep them moving forward. Um, I also think that it might be worthwhile for the Lakers to sort of look at trades as a seller instead of as a buyer. Um, I kind of mentioned the idea of this, but – uh, as much as I <laughs> hate to say it because I really enjoyed watching him play, but Lonnie Walker is a guy that I think is unlikely to be a Laker pass this year just because of his contract status and the fact that other teams are probably going to be able to offer more money than, than the Lakers would, um, you know, depending on, on cap situations and all that. But he's a guy that I think could get you a first round pick from, you know, a French playoff team that, that is looking for an extra, uh, scorer, shooter that, that, that can come in and, uh, you know, help them out uh, on their way to the playoffs. And I think the Lakers should pursue that, you know. Uh, it just seems like a, a good opportunity to get an asset that they can use down the line. Um, it's a pick that they can attach to none and Patrick Beverly and, and get maybe a, a better player. Um, I could also see Patrick Beverly alone kind of, uh, or either one of those guys alone as being – somebody that a different team might be willing to take a flyer on and give you a second round pick for them and, and hope that they can kind of revive whatever they have left in the tank. You know, Beverly, for example, was a really important part of the Timberwolves last season and they had a really great season. There's been some rumors that, that he would want to go back there if he ever got bought out. So maybe, maybe they kind of say, hey, we made a mistake letting you go, come back for a second-round pick or whatever. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, same thing. Like he, He's had moments in his career. He had a great, good rookie year with the Miami Heat. He's still fairly young. Maybe a team says, hey, we, we, can, uh, we can get something out of him more than the Lakers have so far. Um, I think those kind of make sense as, as trades that the Lakers can pursue. And then, yeah, if there's a, an opportunity to get some sort of like role player that they can take a flyer on that they would then have control over keeping them next season, then yeah, that's another, uh, definitely a, a, an opportunity that, that they can, uh, look at. <laughs> I think the most upset I've been with the trade machine is that <laughs> there really isn't a way to trade Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn to the Timberwolves and get back. D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> the money just doesn't work. It's really not even close. Um, there, It's like 8 million difference. You'd have to send out like I'm theoretically Lonnie Walker uh, and also like Damian Jones just to make the money work, which then you're, I don't, you're giving up a lot at that point anyway. And D'Lo hasn't been great in, in this season in Minnesota. Um, I mean, as things stand now, the Lakers are a game and a half back of the play-in spot. They're four games under five hundred. Is there a like a amount of games under five hundred, or like a like at what point would you sell versus maybe trying to get somebody? Um, I don't know. That's really tough to say. Like, uh, like I said, I think that the West is just so filled with with teams that see themselves as playoff contenders. Though I guess you could argue that the three teams that are behind the Lakers right now, the Thunder, the Spurs, and the Rockets, probably aren't going to be better than the Lakers anyway. Um, and then you're just fighting with 
<laughs> the Warriors, who are 11th right now, that you would imagine they make the playoffs, but teams like the Jazz could fall out. Uh, the Mavericks have their own injury problems right now, and the Timberwolves have been really up and down. Those kind of seem like the three teams that that have potential falling out. I don't see Dallas, you know, falling that far off. They have arguably the MVP uh, front runner, but the Jazz could, and the Timberwolves could, and if two of those teams are out, then the Lakers are in the plan. Uh, tournament so uh, I think they would have to fall pretty significantly below that threshold before they really pulled the trigger on selling but uh, I don't know it's just I, I think it's just more of a check where you are at the trade deadline does it seem like you're making progress does it seem like AD is going to be coming back I think if AD isn't coming back this season uh, I just say sell versus buy anyway uh, it doesn't really matter to me how far below there. Uh, I mean, obviously, in the rare or unlikely scenario that they go on a 10-game winning streak right now and, and just are firmly in the playoffs, then sure, go, go crazy. But uh, in general, I, I think it's more likely that, that they're sellers than buyers anyway. I would also, simply because of their franchise history, add Sacramento to your list of teams <laughs> might not make the playoffs. Look, this certainly feels like the season they break they break their playoff streak, but until they do it, I'm not gonna buy it. So there's a fifth seed right now, uh, at sixteen and twelve, but it's just a four game difference between the fifth seed and the Lakers in the twelfth seed. So everything's just kind of jam packed there in mediocrity, to be honest, with the yeah. Western Conference. I mean, the Lakers are four games under five hundred and six and a half games out of the top spot so i mean it's it's just such a a weird year in the western conference i want to talk i don't want to talk we need to talk (laughs) about the lakers suns game that uh occurred on monday it wasn't a fun one but there are a couple talking points we can take away from it we'll do that here in just a moment so the lakers did lose to the suns on monday night tonight as we're recording this there's a reason we didn't talk about it because there were like eight, I think maybe nine healthy Lakers. Um, LeBron didn't play. AD obviously didn't play. Juan Toscano Anderson still out. Russ was a late scratch. Uh, Cole Swider is still injured. Scotty Pippen Jr. did play, but there aren't many guys that were healthy for that one. No Austin Reeves either. Yeah, I knew I was forgetting the, one. Austin the Reeves true star one. of this team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Austin Reeves also did not play. So there weren't many healthy bodies. The The fact that I watched Patrick Beverly attempt and make, to be fair, a skyhook <laughs> in the opening like five possessions of the game kind of told me what it was uh, on the way in this one. There are a couple players who played well that I kind of want to talk about how they've played in the last couple of games. Dennis Schroeder. I believe at one point had 30 of the 77 points the Lakers had scored. Uh, He was like the only good Laker, like maybe not that far, but he was the best Laker on the night. He is really rounding into form. This is looking like the Dennis Schroeder that the Lakers offered $80 million for. Are you getting that vibe? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I hope that they don't offer him 80 million because of this. 
but yeah, these uh, last three games, he had 15 against Denver, uh, 12 and seven against Washington, and then 30 points against Phoenix. Um, he's again, he's I, I think Dennis kind of got a little bit of a bad rep from that that first Lakers stint because uh, he just seems like a little bit of a difficult personality, and then obviously the the contract stuff that turned into a big joke, but he is a really good player. And I think people forget that that season, he was a very, very crucial part to the Lakers, even making the playoffs uh, when they were dealing with injuries to LeBron and AD. Um, so again, he's a, he's a guy that I think you could really see him uh, kind of stepping up in AD's absence and, and covering a lot of the, uh, you know, the scoring volume at least um, obviously isn't really going to be, doing much of the other things that uh, AD does. Uh, I believe Dennis Schroeder still doesn't have a single block this season. Very fun fact for you. Uh, um, which is really funny because he jumps at every shot. <laughs> he, is, he is seeking that block. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I definitely do think that that he is rounding in the form a little bit. Um, kind of makes... Uh, uh, I think this this like stint is going to be a good opportunity for a lot of these guys to uh, show what they can contribute. Uh, they're obviously going to be motivated in part to just get new contracts this summer. Uh, a lot of these guys are going to be free agents, Dennis among them. Um, he's a guy that I think if, if he does play well and keeps smashing, uh, I could see him kind of sticking with the Lakers past the season, depending on how contract stuff goes, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely... I'm enjoying watching Dennis Schroeder again, at least this version of him. I did not know he had zero blocks and that's incredible. Cause he's played a lot of minutes. He, uh, yeah, I think he is. He's the player with the most minutes in the NBA who, who doesn't have a block yet. He's up to 424. Our friend Brady Klopfer over, I believe he does the Warriors yeah. uh, site. He's the one who kind of keeps that running. Uh, no stat leaders. Yeah. Schroeder has zero blocks in 395 minutes. Uh, kudos to him. That is <laughs> that's impressive to play that many minutes. Nobody else has played more minutes and not uh, among the like zero steals, stuff like that. Like he's played a lot of minutes and not recording a block is impressive. But you can see it's such a I watched Schroeder a little bit last season and he looked a mess. <laughs> and yeah. like he was not a good player last season. It's interesting how much fit matters, but also this isn't even the same Lakers roster he played with two seasons ago. So part of it is knowing how to play off LeBron and AD, which he kind of had a head start on with most of these guys having done it and done it successfully. Yeah. I, I, I'm not even really sure what like the rest of it is like, he, he has the ball a lot. He's starting, he's in the starting lineup a lot. And that wasn't the case last season in either Boston or Houston, like he, he was sixth man and maybe he's kind of outgrown that role a little bit. Um, he certainly thinks he has. <laughs> he, he thought he did two seasons ago when he came to LA. So maybe he, I mean, he was effective off the ball still, but I mean, as we, as you said on Monday, he had 30 points, four assists, four rebounds, 12 of 19 shooting, two of two from three, four, four from the free throw line. Like you said, he was instrumental in keeping the Lakers afloat during that COVID season or whatever you want to call it. Um, when LeBron or when AD was out, then when LeBron was out, 
just keeping this team alive. Unfortunately, two years later, we're facing a very similar situation in which he's going to need to help keep the Lakers afloat and alive. It's encouraging that he, that he's he's looking like this version of Dennis Schroeder again. He's still probably the best Laker on the roster at getting to the rim. Uh, Le- I guess LeBron will do it is better at it. He just doesn't do it a lot more than anything at this point. Um, Russ can, but once you get to the rim with Russ, it's kind of a coin flip. What's going to happen at that point. Um, Dennis is, I guess the better way of saying it is Dennis is still very good at getting to the rim and finishing there. It's just, I mean, even the best case scenario, I, did, I didn't know that if we would get this kind of level of Dennis again this season, I'm happy he is performing like this and giving the Lakers a boost because they, they sorely need it. He's one of those players as well that if the Lakers do trade Pat Bev and Kendrick Nunn for a floor spacing type of guard, or if there is a buddy in Miles trade or something, I think he would benefit greatly from having that extra spacing as well and having a, a buddy heel next to him or whoever it might be that you put next to him that ideally would have more gravity as a shooter. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Bryant, another guy who playing really well of late, he had the, I guess he technically had the game winner against the Wizards (laughs) in the most bizarre final play I can remember seeing. Uh, But I I don't feel right calling that a game winner. (laughs) He technically had the game winning dunk in that one. 21 points, six rebounds against Denver, 16 and 10 against uh, Washington. And then on Monday, 16 and five against Phoenix. You mentioned him earlier. How important is he going to be now? Obviously, he's, he, it's going to be huge. He's going to have to play a lot of minutes. He played 32 minutes in, in that game against the Wizards, which is you know the first game that they fully played without AD. Um yeah, he's, he has definitely stepped up to the plate these last few games. That Denver game, I, I thought, you know, one of the more impressive wins of the season for the Lakers. And Thomas Bryant was, you know, a, a huge, huge part of that. There's a, obviously a great video of Darvin Ham after the game giving him the game ball for, for you know, being the, the champion of next man up uh, for that game. But um, that was big time. He was genuinely for, for – stretches of that second half all playing the two-time MVP uh, Nikola Jokic which was just amazing to watch um, and against Washington again he was he was great all game uh, obviously got uh, whatever you want to call that that game winner um, uh, at the end of it and yeah I, I think it's really awesome to see that he, you know he's he's battled with injuries the last couple of years uh, battled with role changes throughout his career um, kind of feels like this uh, this is another extension of that. Uh, he, to me, is is the sort of perfect energy guy off the bench uh, as a center. He's going to come in. He's always going to play hard. Not a great rim protector, but but he'll play hard. He'll run the uh, run the floor, get into running lanes, uh, get dunks, um, get a few threes every once in a while, um, and, and just really really energize the team. He is. Uh, incredibly excited at every positive play that he ever makes, which is awesome. Um, and it kind of, 
on on one hand, I think it's really cool to to watch him kind of step up uh, now that he the, the Lakers need him to as a starter and and play as well as he has so far. But it also kind of sucks that his role is changing again, and now he has to play at a, a at a different expectation level, uh, which is not really fair to him, um, I think. But so far, I'm I'm really enjoying that experience of of him, you know, really really rising to the occasion. I technically have two gifts of Thomas Bryant saved on my computer. One of them I tweet out basically anytime he does something cool, which is just him flexing back at IU. The other one is him. He got an and one and was pumped up and ran over and chest bumped Tom Crean on the <laughs> sideline, head coach Tom Crean. Um, so that, I mean, he's always been uh, that type of guy. It's fun to watch. He, he is – kind of the definition of an energy big man rim runner uh what he's done recently that has been super encouraging is stretch the floor and knock down three pointers he hit one against denver he hit two he hit both of his attempts from three against washington he was firing away in phoenix he was two of five but he made his first two um it seems to be a shot he he wasn't really even like taking them at the beginning of the season or once, once he got healthy, he only took like five, six, three pointers, a little bit more than that. Actually um, looks like 10, three pointers or so in his first 13 games. And now he's taken nine of them in the last three games. So I don't know if it was something that the coaching staff mentioned to him that he kind of needs to do. It adds an extra dimension. He's clearly good at them too. Like he, when he was yeah. healthy, he was good at them in Washington. That's kind of what they signed him to do: is be a floor spacing big man. He's been very productive, not even doing that. So the idea that he can still add that level is encouraging. I mean, when he had the game winning bucket against Washington, it was because he was standing in the corner, spotted up for three. The ball was knocked loose. And he just kind of walked his way to the rim, <laughs> waiting to see what was going to happen. And he was standing at the rim wide open for the dunk. So it's a it's a different dynamic. A couple plays before that, I mean, part of this was because the Wizards had one of the worst defensive possessions ever. But he was spaced out again to the corner, and LeBron drove down the lane, and they didn't want to leave him open in the corner. And LeBron got a wide open dunk instead. Uh, so he other teams know that he has that type of shooting ability, which is encouraging and could open up some more things for the Lakers. Last person again, that I mentioned uh, earlier is Max Christie. Statistically, maybe not necessarily. I mean, he, he did have a, a good game the other night. I think he tied his career high with eight points. Um, he, I mean, it's not even necessarily about statistics. I, I think he just looks more like an NBA player in these last three games that he played. He played 16 minutes against Denver, had six points. He played 24 minutes against Washington, had eight points, which tied his career high. And then he played 27 minutes on Monday. He took nine shots. He was, he was hoisting. I would imagine that's his, that is his career high in field goal attempts. He made one of them, though. Um, but still it's probably not a coincidence that he entered the rotation 
roughly the same time AD went down because he actually has a little bit of size and the Lakers haven't had that. What have you made of Max Christie these last handful of games? Yeah, I think uh, he definitely looks like a more confident player. Uh, looks like a guy that really um, fits in. Um, like you said, just having a little bit more size on the perimeter is already makes him uh, a valuable part of the rotation. Um, Lakers very much cannot. They, they never really could have afforded playing these four guard rotations, but they really can't do it without AD. Um, and Christy is a guy that, that, that is now, because of that, going to be hoist into the rotation and so far he's really looked apart um i i would kind of throw away the sun's game he's obviously gonna chuck a little bit more since he's getting that playing time but uh in the last couple of games uh the denver game there was like a stretch where he i think he had two threes um and uh that was a really really crucial part in, in the run that the lakers made in the second half to to really take over that game um i think lebron mentioned that as, as kind of a key stretch as well after the game um, so yeah, he, he's definitely looked like a guy that can come in at, at any point and, you know, win you a few possessions. Um, his three point shooting is, seems pretty legit. That was something that, uh, people that were a little bit more, um, experts and, and, you know, college players kind of came into, uh, the draft thinking of him as a, as a high ceiling three point shooter, even though if I recall correctly, he wasn't a great three-point shooter in, in college. He just had good mechanics, was a good free-throw shooter, so people kind of just expected that. And so far, it's it's looking to be true. Um, but the thing that has impressed me really throughout his young NBA career, like even the early games where he got some minutes, his, his like defensive ability is pretty solid for a rookie. Um, a young guy, you don't usually see those guys doing so well. And... Um, one, he's pretty solid. He doesn't seem like he's really going to be gambling. He doesn't uh, foul a whole lot. But even when he gets beat, he has sort of the length to, to come back and, and contest from behind. Uh, saw that a, a couple times in the Suns game as well. Um, super impressed by by the maturity that he plays with on the defensive end. Offensively, he's mostly just a, a, a standstill shooter right now. But he's another guy that just, you know, the, the, the Lakers for – all of their faults in the front office, they continuously hit on these like late draft picks or undrafted guys, and, and he seems to be the next in line for that. It's amazing looking at this Lakers roster. <laughs> um, so there is no Laker on this roster taller than 6'6 that is not a center, LeBron, or Winion Gabriel. So basically <laughs> a center or power forward. There was no one taller on this roster than 6'6". Christie, uh, JTA, Troy Brown are your only 6'6 players. So effectively, he's their biggest wing player, him and that, Troy Brown. That really trips me out because there's no chance those three are at the same height. <laughs> like, if you put those three next to each other, I don't think they're the same height. Uh, JTA has about 20 pounds uh, in terms of listed weight. Yeah. Has about 20 pounds on Christie. Uh, Troy Brown has about 25 pounds on him. So I think that probably accounts for a lot of it. Uh, yeah. Physically, Max Christie doesn't, he still has a way to go <laughs> to, to, to bulk up a bit for the NBA. But, uh, but even that like seems a little bit improved since the beginning of the season. I feel like, like he doesn't really get bullied as much as he did his first few games. And you could see even in the 
summer league that he had really good defensive instincts and that's playing out in the regular season as well. The Lakers need players like that. Um, I mean, down the stretch in that wizards game, when the Lakers were needing stops, he was on the court. He was guarding Bradley Beal. I don't, I mean, I probably would have been my first choice, but I mean, he was Darvin hams because it wasn't any action to get Christie switched onto Beal. He was just on Bradley Beal. Beal got to the basket and drew a foul, but he was he was still the guy. So, I mean, that might say as much about the state of the Lakers roster than anything else that uh, Christie is the one that is kind of tabbed to guard him. But he is a good defender, and he's earning minutes, and he's playing well, and it's going to be interesting to see how much he's continued to use now uh, because for all the reasons we mentioned, the Lakers – can't keep trotting out these Schroeder, Beverly, Westbrook, Austin Reeves lineups with Thomas Bryant at center or something like it, that's it's not going to work like that. And so Christie will probably play more. Troy Brown Jr. He played. He's probably going to play a bit more. He played 21 minutes on Monday, but again, Monday's game was such a weird one with only so many guys available that everybody who played played a bunch of minutes. Um, I mean, we'll see how, I mean, Troy Brown had a good game against uh, Boston. He was part of that big comeback. We'll see how much these guys are used now in these next handful of games on that note, kind of encapsulating everything we've talked about today. You and I are not going to be back until end of January. Uh, Next week is Christmas. We're not recording on Christmas. The week after that is New Year's Day. We're not recording on New Year's Day. There are 10 games between now and the next time we will talk, and it is a quirky schedule. This Lakers schedule has been odd in spurts. These next 10 games will feature two games against Sacramento, two games against Charlotte, two games against Miami, two games against Atlanta, a game against Dallas, and a game against Orlando. Our last prediction... I was not a coward and said 3-0, and and if not for just a bizarre, epic, awful meltdown, I would have been right, but ultimately you were right. <laughs> so, sounds like being right is better than not being a coward or whatever you just said. Yeah. In games, again, I mean, this is a, relatively speaking, a pretty easy stretch of games coming up. What are the Lakers, what's the Lakers record going to be through those 10 games? before the next time we talk. Man. There are definitely some winnable games there. Uh, you know, the the Magic, Hornets, um, it's three games that they could win. I think they could split the Kings series. I'll say, I'll say four and six. I will not say 10 and 0. <laughs> Coward. Uh, I mean, there there are games where, like, traditionally you would think of them as easier games. Sacramento typically was like, oh, that's a winnable game. But as we mentioned, they're a playoff team. Orlando can't stop winning right now, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so those are not those are going to be tough games. Atlanta's in a funky spot uh, where everybody hates Trey Young, maybe. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, the Charlotte games, I think they'll win both. At Dallas on Christmas is going to be interesting. Um, 
man, four and six feels about right. I'll be slightly more optimistic, say that they'll tread water and go five and five, which <laughs> that doesn't do them any good. If they're <laughs> easiest stretch of games, they're going to go five and five. Um, that probably leads to more questions about whether they should make a trade or not. But ultimately this is a pretty easy stretch of games to have uh, AD to not have AD. And ultimately if this is a one month injury, like there, there have been tougher months for the Lakers to, to not have AD. if he wasn't there in November, it would have been even worse. So like, there have been tougher months for for the Lakers to not have him, but like I said, you guys may already know uh, the status of AD. Whenever it is announced, we will have coverage here um, and on the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. We'll continue to have podcasts through the week, but like I said, we will not talk to you guys until. Uh, January 8th, there is no game that day. It'll be after playing the Kings on the road. Who knows what the Lakers schedule is going to look like by then? Who knows who is on the Lakers roster by then? We will talk to you guys again on that date. Happy holidays to all of you listening. For Hani, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great one, everybody. Happy holidays and Messi is the GOAT.